Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, the reading for this morning, taken from the Gospel according to Mark chapter 7. I'll begin reading in verse 1 and read through verse 23 this morning. Gospel according to Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many things such as that. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable, and he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the, ma- out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within... Out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. When we consider the question of why God created anything, 
But more specifically, when we consider the question, why God created us, there are lots of answers that we could use, even from the Scriptures. We could conclude all kinds of reasons that God has made us. But the one overarching, unquestionable answer to the question, why has God created us, is for worship. He has made us to worship Him, that we might know Him and love Him and give ourselves to Him, both in this life and in the one to come. So when we see Jesus having an encounter like what we have here recorded for us in Mark chapter 7, it's hugely important for us to know how to arrange the affairs of our lives and what we ought to give attention to and what we ought to be doing and not doing. The title there in the bulletin is Traditions and Truth. And I've said it that way with intentionality because it's not necessarily traditions versus truth. Because traditions do not necessarily have to be bad. We think of traditions as bad because we are prone to not just give in to traditions or have traditions, but we are prone to practice traditionalism. So, if you want to use verses rather than and, it would be truth versus vain traditions. Traditionalism would be vain traditions or man-made designs, patterns of the past that do not necessarily promote godliness, nor are they the pattern of the Scriptures. But Jesus doesn't just deal with traditionalism here in the passage. He also deals deals with legalism, that is, adding to the law of God or subtracting from the law of God. He also deals with hypocrisy. Those that are putting on a mask, whose lives are a show or a sham, fraudulent. And Jesus deals with all three of these, and there's a massive measure of overlap between traditionalism and legalism and hypocrisy. But I suppose if we're going to get to the heart of it, which is what we want to do, because we want to avoid all three. I'm not suggesting these are the three options and you should leave today waving one of these banners of traditionalism, legalism, and hypocrisy. Hopefully, we will all together bury them all. But we aren't prone to do that. That hasn't necessarily been our history as humanity, because as sinners, we recognize to some degree that we have problems. And yet, as sinners, we want to fix those problems ourselves, and therein lies the crux of the issue. While we do not deny that there's a problem, we want to make up the method of solving it. We want to design our own escape plan. We want to determine the rules for the playbook. We want to save our sight. Save ourselves. And did you know that every religion other than biblical Christianity is a result of this? Of men and women desiring to create a system 
to save themselves, to be the captain of our own soul, to be the determiner of our own destiny. Self-salvation, that's what we want to avoid. But it is because of our sin ingrained in us. Hopefully, by God's grace, we will come to the right conclusion that self-help does not help spiritual problems. Because when self is the problem, and newsflash, it always is, self cannot be the solution. We need something, or more more precisely, someone outside of self to help us, to save us. What we see here with the Pharisees and some of the scribes and the elders, the men of tradition, they are attempting to to stand before God based on their keeping of their interpretation of the law. And they feel very confident in their standing before God. And why wouldn't they? Because they've created the rules. How ludicrous would it be for them to create a law that they couldn't attain to? They actually hated God's law and God as well. The same is true for us when we're creating our own laws and our own rules. So they were basing their standing with God on their own keeping of their own interpretation of the law. Let's look at the text. I've divided it into three different sections for us to look at. Verses 1 through 8, commandments neglected. Verses 9 through 13, korban enacted. And verses 14 to 23, cleansing declared. Commandments neglected, korban enacted, and cleansing declared. Commandments neglected. From verse 8. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And really, this is the point that Jesus is making here. The tradition of the elders, the religious elite, versus the truth of God. Remember traditionalism, we stated already, it's elevating past patterns to be equal with or superior to the Word of God. Now, we're prone to do that not just with regard to past patterns, but to elevate our own present experiences to be equal or superior to the Word of God. Now, respect for past tradition is great. Respect for tradition or for the past. These are not necessarily bad things. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Here's God saying through the prophet Jeremiah to his people, stand by the ways. Look for the ancient path. Look for the right tradition. Look for the way the people of God have done it previously. And that's where you'll find rest. Or the apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth chapter 15 I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That delivered is a passing on. I passed on the tradition that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. 
So respect to the past or respect to tradition is great. It doesn't have to be bad. But empty traditions, vain traditions, man-made traditions is what Jesus is warning about here. Verse 5, the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? Now, Mark chooses to mention this one thing that they've brought before Jesus. Jesus is very well aware that this is not the only stumbling block that they've placed in the lives of their people. They could have just as well asked Jesus, why do your disciples carry a handkerchief on the Sabbath? Because if they drop it, then they have to pick it up. And that would be work, and they would be violating the Sabbath. These are actual laws that they had put in place. If you have false teeth, you can't wear them on the Sabbath because they might fall out and you would be tempted to pick them up. I'm not kidding. If you have a wooden leg and your house catches on fire, you cannot pick up the wooden leg and take it out of the house because that would be work. You can't spit on the ground Because you may accidentally scuff the ground with your sandal, which would be cultivating the soil, thus breaking the law. Now, granted, these are not God's laws. But these are easy laws for men to manipulate and figure out a way to keep them to make themselves feel good. I think it's interesting to note that the question that the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus here in Verse 5, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with their impure hands? Jesus actually never answers their question, which is helpful. Every ludicrous question out there does not need an answer. Jesus goes right to the heart and said, verse 6, Isaiah prophesied about you hypocrites. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly." I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. What Jesus is saying here is in, Mark, in Mark 7 is that as in Isaiah's day, so in Christ's day, we are prone. And as in Christ's day, so in our day, we are prone like they were in Jesus' day here in Mark 7, like they were in the days of Isaiah, to Go through the motions outwardly while having hearts that are far from him. The way that Jesus quotes Isaiah here, quotes his father from Isaiah, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So elevating the traditions of men to the level of Scripture. Tradition is only good and only worth following if it matches Scripture and is biblical. 
Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. He calls out their hypocrisy. They're claiming to have moral standards or beliefs, but their behavior doesn't conform to it. Now, it's not, again, you can see this. It's not difficult to wash your hands before you eat. They're making such a big deal about that as if it affects their eternal state. But Jesus calls them on this with regard to hypocrisy in worship. They're acting or pretending to be reverent when they're not. Not even close. But God has created us for worship. He's created us to have hearts that are aflame with Him and minds that are captivated with the reality of who He is that results in love being expressed both to Him and to one another and a life conformed to the image of Jesus. It's probably worth mentioning here when the Bible uses the term worship It's not referring to song and music alone. Worship and song and music are not synonyms. Singing and music should be worship, but so should your job and your school and your leisure and your life. Worship, if you aren't super behind on the reading for the book study this evening, the first of the chapters for this evening deals with worship. Worship is reverence of God and humility before God and love to God and trust in God and obedience to God. That's worship, a life of reverence and humility and love and trust and obedience. But Jesus says here to these Pharisees and scribes, You are neglecting the commandment of God and holding to the tradition of men. He just points out the exact problem. You've minimized God's law and you've elevated your own law. He continues in verse 9.2 for us, Corban enacted. He was also saying to them, You are experts. At evil. Experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Jesus uses sarcasm here to, to reveal how bad off course they are. Calling, you are experts. You're not just struggling here and there with not obeying God. You've become experts at neglecting His law. And he uses the fifth commandment as a test case. Honor your father and your mother. He who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. The fifth commandment is used by Jesus as a test case. And it's helpful because this fifth commandment is part of the fabric of all society. It doesn't apply just to the home. But it's authority in every sphere. And the expectation, the requirement, the command from God to his people in every age is that we honor those in authority, that we give esteem, that we have a state of heart and mind of holding those that God has put in authority, here specifically it's mother and father, in high place. For those who do not honor God-given authority of parents, he quotes that too. He who curses his father or mother, Exodus twenty-one seventeen, surely shall be put to death. 
It's not a minor penalty that's held out there for those who fail to keep the commandments of God. Now think about what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and scribes here. You are experts at usurping this command. And this command not only comes with a promise, we know from Ephesians, but it comes with punishment. And you deserve to die because of your expert ability to not keep the commandment of God. But he goes a bit further because they might argue, well, it's not that simple. They have a nuanced argument. But you say, he continues, Jesus continues in verse 11, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corban, that is to say given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many such, many things such as that. This idea of Corban, you're not going to read about it anywhere in God's law because God didn't require it. It's completely fabricated. So, how do they come up with that? How did they they get to this point? Well, they began with the assumption that God's law is insufficient. It's insufficient for them to live how they want to and their conscience to be clear, definitely. So, as a result of assuming that God's law is insufficient, they concocted their own rules and regulations that actually ended up superseding God's law. They're helping God out. He, He hasn't considered this situation, so they create this divine assistance plan They're giving it, not receiving it. It's good if you're on a divine assistance plan and you're the one receiving the assistance. But if you're giving the assistance to God, I I don't recommend it. He doesn't need it. So Corban, you can see there in the text what they've done. Let's say someone has ailing parents who need to be helped. And the child has the freedom to take money or resources that would be used to help their parents and set it aside and say, no, this is for God. Now, they didn't actually give it to the temple or the church or the elders. They kept it in their own possession. We'll use me as an example. Let's say I'm the one in this illustration. I wouldn't give it to any. I would still have it in my possession, but it would be titled Korban. That is, it's going to go to God. And so when my parents were in need, I would say, basically, yes, I have the resources, but you can't use them. It's for God. Well, it's violating the fifth commandment because we're commanded to honor. There's no command that says set aside this. Like there are commands with regard to giving to God, but it's not Corban. It's it's not what they have set up. Deuteronomy 4.2 says, You shall not add to the word which I'm commanding you, which they have evidently done, nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. But it really didn't stop there. Let's say I've set this money aside, my parents are in need, and I go back to the elders of the church, the scribes and the Pharisees, and say my parents are really in need, I need to get these resources to them. And they say, no, you've made a vow. You've committed this money to God. So you can't do that. And so they've set up this system whereby they're using one command of God against another command of God, and the only reason that they're pitted against each other like that is because they have allowed themselves to neglect the command in the first place, assuming that it was insufficient, and created this list of man-made regulations and traditions that they would rather live by. At the end of the day, they were greedy and not wanting to keep the commands of God, nor love their family. 
or those that God had called them to take care of. Proverbs 30, 5 and 6, every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, God says, or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. It's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He is proving that they are liars. They say that they're honoring God. They say they've set this money aside for God. It's still in their possession, and they're refusing to keep the command of God that is clear before them. Thus, he says, what you've done in doing this is you are invalidating the Word of God by your tradition. Tradition Their tradition is in direct conflict with God's Word, and that's the danger of traditions. And he points out, this is not the only area. You do many things such as that. In fact, there was an unending, ever-developing list of ways in which they were neglecting the commandment of God and invalidating the Word of God. Let's keep on moving through the text in verse 14. Cleansing declared. Jesus called the crowd to himself again and said, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of man are what defile him. Listen to me. This is Jesus saying, listen up, all of you. Can you imagine ignoring him at this point? After hearing the authority in his teaching, after witnessing the miraculous miracles. And this is what he says. This is what everybody needs to pay attention to, Jesus says. Sin and evil is not out there somewhere. It's not something that you bump into from time to time that results in needing to wash off a little bit. It's not even like stubborn lint on your favorite jacket or sticky chewing gum in the crevices of the sole of your shoe. And not only is sin not merely dirt on the exterior of our lives, holiness is not merely outwardly cleaning up our lives. And Jesus is emphasizing both of these realities. Namely this, we are deeply, deeply stained within. We are polluted deep down inside of us with sin and unrighteousness and wickedness. But this is not the final word. God created us. Initially, He created us perfect perfectly in his own image, making us in his likeness. But we, mankind, man and woman, allowed sin to enter in. And we sinned and inherited a corrupt and defiled nature with that sin. So that sin wasn't just something that we did. Sin became who we are. But... Even still, God has not left us without a remedy for complete healing and cleansing. Though the sin pollutes us deep, deep down, the healing cleanses us deeper still. Our sin is not accurately described as an accident. 
or an aberration or a minor flaw or an insignificant matter. Our sin is wicked and unrighteous, and it flows from the core of our being. But this is not the final word. He declared all foods clean. Verse 19. We can tell by this scenario, the Pharisees and the scribes are super bothered by being dirty, touching something that's dirty, eating something that's dirty. And Jesus is making the point that nothing that you touch, nothing that you consume is going to affect your soul or your standing before God. He declared all foods clean. There were dietary restrictions that had been put in place in the Old Testament. But the purpose of those dietary restrictions of this portion of God's law has been fulfilled. Hebrews 9.10, they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. And here Jesus shows up saying, all foods are now clean. Or Colossians 2.17, a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Christ brought an end and brought fulfillment to these restrictions and this aspect of the law. But God didn't just in the New Testament in the days of Jesus begin looking at the inside of us. It wasn't like he looked at the external aspects of humanity previously and now he's paying attention to the heart. 1 Samuel 16, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Who we are before God, where our heart is before him is what matters. Or Psalm 24, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Or Jeremiah 4, wash your heart from evil, O Jerusalem, that you may be saved. Why? Because the heart is more deceitful than all else. Again, the prophet Jeremiah, and is desperately sick. We have deceitful hearts as humanity. We have desperately sick cores. We drink iniquity like it's water, Job 15, 16 tells us. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, spiritually dead to God, Ephesians 2, verse 1. And there's further evidence of this sin that is within us, that is who we are and is what we do. Its effect on us creates a disinterestedness in God's sovereignty, in His rights in our life, in His rights in the world, a carelessness and an indifference about the state of our soul. We sin freely without any powerful conviction of sin. There's minimal dread of hell or the right of God to send us there. We remain unchanged by what we know and confess to believe about Jesus Christ, being Pharisee-like with an interest in forms of religion rather than the truth and the power of real religion, being indifferent to the means of grace, the Bible, prayer, and worship. Further evidence of sin's effect on us. We want enough religion to be free from the consequences of sin, but not its presence or power in our lives. We fail to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Further evidence, being uncaring concerning the glory of God and the spread of His kingdom throughout the world, being earthly-minded instead of heavenly-minded. We could go on and on. But with all of these issues and evidences of sin's effect in us and through us, 
there is a remedy. And there's only one remedy for all of these effects or issues. And it's part of the point that Jesus is making here. He says to his disciples in verse 18, are you so lacking in understanding? So he's already said in verse 14 to everyone, listen to me, all of you, and understand. He assumes at this point the disciples have a little more understanding than they do. Verse 18, he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart or into his soul, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Are you lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand? And he uses food as the example, and it's a very good one. You eat, you drink, you defecate in one orifice and out the other, Jesus clearly says. How in the world could you think that that is polluting your soul? That which proceeds out of the man, out of the man is what defiles the man. Verses 20 through 23 gets to the very point of what Jesus is emphasizing here. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts and fornications and thefts and murders and adulteries and deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within. This is what defiles us. All of the issues happening in our world today, from local politics to foreign wars to corruption, local and global, the issues in our own lives, they all flow from the depraved human heart. Jesus goes all in, as it were, here. It's not an exhaustive list, but man, it covers a lot of ground. Twelve evils. Twelve sins noted, six evil actions and six evil attitudes. Fornications, what some have called the king of all corruption. Adultery, pornography, sexual immorality. Thefts, taking something that belongs to someone else. Time or stuff or objects. Murders. Anger exposes our murderous heart. And then adulteries, if you notice how these first six are paired together, fornications, then pairs with adulteries, lust within reveals our guilty thoughts and the intents of our hearts and thefts, connects with deeds of coveting, wanting, longing, desiring what is not rightfully yours. That's where theft begins. And wickedness or malice, a dark hatred of others, gives way to murders. Those two are paired as well. Now, note, if you don't have a New American Standard, this will not be a reality in your copy of the Scriptures. But all six of these are plural. Why are they plural? Why is it fornications and thefts and murders and adulteries and deeds of coveting and wickednesses? Why? Because we keep on doing them. Because they keep on flowing from the human heart. Jesus doesn't stop with those six. He continues on. As well as deceit. A crafty misrepresentation of the truth. Or sensuality. Lewd and corrupt mind. Or envy. 
materialistic greed or jealousy regarding others' successes, slander, assassinating others' characters, pride, the root of so many of our sins, and the root of self-worship, and foolishness, frivolous actions, empty thoughts and words. Jesus said, all of these evil things proceed from within, and they defile the man. They give evidence of our inner defilement. They proceed from within, and they defile you, and they defile me. But this is not the final word. Remember verse 19, the parenthetical statement? He declared all foods clean. Extra information there. It wouldn't have happened. They wouldn't have realized it in the moment. But as the Apostle Peter is telling Mark about what happened, Peter's learned the hard way about those laws. You can imagine him saying, Mark, maybe add a parenthesis there and note that it's clear now that Jesus was declaring all foods clean. Not saying that the dietary laws were problematic or wrong. They were established by God in order to show what is holy and what is common. But they were powerless to cleanse. They were pictures only. And in, in the fullness of time, they were fulfilled perfectly by Christ, who came not to abolish those laws, but to fulfill them, which then makes those dietary restrictions and though that part of the law obsolete. He did declare all foods clean. Acts 10, what God has cleansed, he says to Peter, no longer consider unholy. Or Romans 15, 20, all things indeed are clean, the Apostle Paul says. There's no such thing as a spiritual virus on food, right? Not at all. Several years ago, maybe five or six years ago now, about this time of year in October and November, I had a long stretch where I was really sick and I just couldn't shake whatever was going on, some kind of cold, I just couldn't get over it. And someone who was frequenting the church at that time actually suggested that it was probably the pork that is poison that we were eating at our Sunday lunches that was causing my sickness. I'm sorry if you believe that too, but that's absolutely asinine. There's no such thing as a spiritual virus on food, right? I didn't stop eating pork, and I eventually got well, right? What Jesus is making clear here, I should say that that person is no longer here. Obviously, I wouldn't have mentioned it from the pulpit. (laughs) I hope. Jesus is emphasizing that all your silly man-made traditions, they are useless. They are no good. He declared all foods clean. Now, that's a glorious thing, whether you like pork or not. But you know what's better than Jesus making all foods clean? Jesus making you clean. Clean from these evil thoughts. And clean from fornications and thefts and murders and adulteries and deeds of coveting, and wickedness, and deceit, and sensuality, and envy, and slander, and pride, and foolishness. There's nothing better than Jesus making you clean from all these things. 
all these things that proceed from within and defile the man, Jesus came to clean us of that defilement. Don't forget, these religious leaders of the day thought that a bit of water on their hands would cleanse them them from all these things. And we're prone to fall into the same miserable trap. May God save us from traditionalism, concocting any man-made design, even if it is a hoop that's easy to jump through. May God save us from legalism, adding to His law in any way or subtracting from it in any way. May God save us from hypocrisy. May He keep us from being phonies or frauds. And may He help us by His grace and for His glory to be people who worship Him in spirit and in truth. That we might live according to the purpose for which we were created. That's what we were made for. To worship Him. And true worship is not man-made. It's initiated by God. It's a revelation of God in His Word. And our response to Him, that's worship. It's not based on human rules and regulations. It's based on God and His Word. It's not hypocritical. It's a heart drawn close to God based on the Word of God. It's founded on His truth, His Word, which creates an inward response, which inevitably results in an outward response. It is a heart aflame for Him and a mind captivated by His glory. And it's love expressed both to God and to His people. And it's a life being conformed. Or as Swinnick says in the book that we'll look at in a few hours, it's a life of reverence for God. And we, when we realize how great He is, it results in humility before Him. And we begin to trust Him and love Him and obey Him. And that obedience keeps us from honoring Him with our lips, but having hearts that are far from Him. May God protect us from being rightly prophesied about by Isaiah, that we wouldn't be a people who honor Him only with our lips, but have hearts that are far away. But may He give us hearts that are fully His, committed to doing His will and honoring Him in every respect. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit, and pray that your spirit would open up the eyes of our hearts, that we might delight in your word, that we might see the revelation of who you are, and that we might be enthralled and enamored with the beauty and splendor that is found in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that you didn't leave us in our sin, but you sent your Son to save us and to save us completely. God, we thank you that he ever lives to make intercession for us who are in him. God, we pray that you would continue saving, that you would prove again this morning that your arm is not too short and your ear is not too dull. God, we're asking you to roll up the sleeve of your salvation and to rescue those who are perishing, to call them to yourself, to give them faith and repentance, 
And God, we pray that you will use your word to keep us all from traditionalism and legalism and hypocrisy, and that you will make us true worshipers of you, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, in every aspect, in every arena of our lives. You deserve honor and glory both now and forever. God, spend our lives for the sake of your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.